Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless these words as we march through the chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Thank you for this time together as we gather around your word. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I'm really uh, believing God for that verse, Romans 8, 11. If the Spirit of God who quickened Jesus from the dead, he will, if, if he's in you and he is, he will, he will quicken your mortal bodies. We got very little sleep last night. Our little guy is um, woke up about every hour just checking in on us. <laughs> See if you guys are still there. He's still getting used to... Um, uh, the presence and of, of people and not neglect. So that's why we're running a little late this morning. Romans chapter eight, and I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about this chapter. I want to read one other verse with you. You don't need to stand, but Galatians two verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we think about these verses in Romans chapter 8, and I've said this before, but if I was stuck on an island and I, had, I could only have one chapter out of the Bible for the rest of my life, I would, I would live off of this chapter. This is the declaration of independence for the believer. Uh, when we talk about, when you hear people talk about mortifying the deeds of the flesh or killing your flesh or crucifying your flesh, or when we hear people or we even read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, when it says, uh, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. I don't know about you, when I read those words, there's something in me that kind of cringes a little bit. Like I, Maybe because I have not understood it. I'm still growing in what that means. But when Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that if, by, if the Spirit is in you, by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, these are some really cool verses, and I want to take a couple minutes and look at these with you so that when we walk away from this message, we're going to understand what it means, what these verses mean. Because I think that sometimes we are such lovers of the grace message and the finished work that when we read a verse like this, we kind of skip over and say, well, that's there, but I'm really going to go to the next verse. But I want to just camp out on these verses for a couple minutes and talk about three things this morning. Three things. What is the flesh? What is the flesh? Okay. What does it mean, number two, to deny ourselves and mortify the deeds of the flesh? What does that mean when Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple in Luke 9, verse 23, unless you deny yourself? What does that mean? And, and number three, the third thing I want to talk about is the call to live by faith. And number three is probably going to it's probably going to um, bleed over to next Sunday, and I'll be speaking next Sunday here on what it means to walk by faith. I love this video that we just watched with Pastor Timothy because this is a man, one of the greatest things that we are, that we are as a church as Evergrace is that we are connected with a body worldwide. Uh, we have 700 churches, about 700, I don't know the number, a little less probably than 700 churches worldwide. We say that not to glorify ourselves, but we say that because we have such a persuasion to walk by faith in the Great Commission that there are people out there, and I love these pictures of Pastor Timothy and Pastor Carl, I'm sorry, Pastor Brian, ministering to these Indian leaders. How many churches do we have in India? Over 100. Over 100. I thought like 110 or something. 
God is doing really a great work with the gospel. Like this gospel message, this grace message is like reaching all of Asia. And it's so, this is such a powerful message because if it's not grace, there's no change. If it's not grace, there's no change. If it's not the finished work, then it's just going to be another self-improvement program. It's going to be another way where we embedder ourselves without the cross. So what does this mean, the flesh? When we talk about someone dying when we became a Christian, who died when we became a Christian? Who died? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Who died? Who was crucified? Well, it was the flesh. It was the old sin nature. And what does this flesh mean? I really want you to, I want you to really focus. And I was thinking recently, just as a side note here, is that I think that sometimes when the Holy Spirit is moving and preparing the body for a message, like in Revelation chapter 3, let the, let the church hear what the Spirit is saying, is that I think that, that there are going to be all of these distractions that come in, all of these weird things that will happen Sunday morning. I don't know about you, but Sunday morning, <laughs> there's a lot of warfare, isn't there? It's a lot, thing, a lot of things going on Sunday morning just to get out the door and to get to church. Why? Because the enemy of our soul, the enemy of grace, the enemy of your edification, the enemy of healing inside of you wants to work against you and I so that we are not in a place where we can hear words that are going to heal us. These, are, these words that we're going to speak this morning are, are not going to condemn us. They're going to heal us. And we're going to grow the next step as a body. What is the flesh? What does it mean that it was crucified? Well, when we talk about the flesh in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, it doesn't talk, it's not, the flesh is not talking about your skin. It's not talking about your physical body because the physical body in in Romans chapter 6 verse 13 can be an instrument of righteousness Mm -hmm. Romans 8 11 says that our mortal bodies can be quickened so Sunday morning I wake up I'm tired I'm um, I love Chris Johnson's coffee that's like that's part of my wake up routine in the morning I love that but that's the Holy Spirit it's the Holy Spirit that quickens us He renews us and he quickens this physical body. The flesh is something else because we have to be careful without getting into it. The Gnostics believe that the physical body was evil and that everything associated with it was evil. So they lived in these weird forms of denial and destruction so that they could so that they could focus on their spirit and the Gnostics treat the flesh. Why is this important? Because there are some religious groups that say that do not understand that the finished work, who you and I are in Christ, makes us 100% human and 100% godly, 100% a spiritual person. The gospel makes us, the gospel puts us in a place where we can enjoy our humanity to the fullest without living in condemnation. I'm not talking about going out and living in self-destructive habits, but I can go to an Astros game and I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and I can, I can cheer, but at the same time be thinking with God about his eternal purpose, about the guy next to me who may not know the gospel or who may not know Christ. I can enjoy my family. I can enjoy my marriage. I can enjoy my job. I can enjoy whatever I'm doing 100% human because the gospel makes us 100% human, understanding who we are as a human being, and at the same time understanding who we are as a spiritual person. Does that make sense? So... Let's not get hyper-spiritual. Let's not get Gnostic. Let's not get 
weird about our humanity because the devil wants you and I to always get into some kind of extreme. So the flesh is not, the flesh is not necessarily referring to my old sin nature. The closest, thing, the closest thing to a biblical definition of the flesh is Romans 8, 7. We just read these verses, 7 and 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Hostile. These are important words. Hostile. The mind that's set on the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law. That's great news, isn't it? It does not submit to the, to the law, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. What is it saying here? I think that sometimes when we live in just different forms of guilt or dissatisfaction, or we feel that we are insufficient or that we're falling behind, that we're just not keeping up. You ever feel that this week? I'm just not. You ever feel that way this week? That yes. I am not. <laughs> I'm not measuring up. I don't know about you. But I'm not able to keep up with this life or whatever. And, and by the way, that's a law, by the way. Anytime that you and I conclude that we're living in an insufficiency, we have submitted to a law that is not God's grace that says that you're not measuring up. The flesh cannot please God. I think that sometimes we in our flesh try to please God. We try to please people in our flesh. There are people that can be very manipulative and demand from us action and performance so that we can so that so that we can derive our acceptance from them. Does that make sense? Because when they're upset at us, we're upset at ourselves because we in some way have put them in the place of God. And we become men pleasers, as it says in the Bible. We become we live in the fear of man. The Bible says, David said in the book of Psalms, the fear of man is a what? snare isn't it when you live in fear of people you're going to be tripping up and you're not going to have free course you're not going to have joy in your life we should never associate or assign to a human being power enough in our life to to determine my joy we should never put into another person that amount of power and control to control the way i feel about who i am we need to put that in the hands of god because you know what? People are going to be disappointed in you and I sometimes. Even in our best endeavor, we try our hardest and they're going to be disappointed. And we need to understand that, that is not the go- that's not the end goal in my life. My goal in my life is to live by faith, which is pleasing to God. So the old sin nature, the flesh, the flesh, which is not our skin, it's not our physical body, we established that. Our flesh, there's two sides of it. Okay? There's two sides to our flesh. Now, when you look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there were two sides, right? How many trees of life were there? One. How many sides to that tree of life were there? One. So when you and I fellowship with the tree of life, which is at the cross, which we'll talk about in a minute, there's a singularity in our life. There is simplicity. There is a focus. And that focus causes consecration in our life because we're looking at Jesus Christ. When we fellowship at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're living in something that is subpar to the tree of life. Let me explain what that means. A tree of knowledge of good and evil, the lure of it, the attraction of it, is that there's an experience there that we're not experiencing in my life. This is what causes a husband or a wife to go out on their, on their mate. Because they're thinking, there's something out there that I'm missing. Or maybe it's a person that is thinking about drugs or seeing friends. Because the power of temptation is, it's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that says you're missing something, right? 
That's the gospel of Satan. Satan's gospel is, you know what? I know that God has said you may have eaten of all of the trees except for this one tree. And then suddenly in Eve's mind, in her mind, it begins to narrow down to that one tree, which is not in the center of the garden, but it was in the center of Eve's mind because of her focus. She begins to become obsessed with that, and she begins to live uh, with, with an attraction to it because it's pleasant to the eyes, and it's good for fruits, it's healthy, and it will cause her to be wise. It's the experience of what I'm not experiencing that causes me to want to deviate from the tree of life. Does that make sense? And what is that? What do we call that? It's a scam. It's a scam. It's like getting one of those emails in your email box from Nigeria saying, here we get one of those? <laughs> you know, Madam, Madam so-and-so. I don't know, have you ever gotten those? Madam so-and-so has, she has um, gotten millions of dollars and she's looking for a way to, you just need to send $3,000 to this accountant in Africa and, and uh, then they will open, they will send you the funds. That's a scam, isn't it? It's a con man. Satan is a con man. Why? Because Satan is not interested in your and my enjoyment. He's not. Satan is not, in, is not interested in you and I being happy. Satan has one goal, and that is to destroy the image of God in front of you and to destroy you in, the, in, in front of God. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy little children. Ever since we've, we're foster, we've taken this journey of fostering to adopt, it's just been so amazing to see that there, and it's just such an eye-opening experience, that, that if you want to step into Satan's realm and warfare, guess what? Just start working with kids, because that is the focus in so many ways. The devil wants to destroy kids even before they're born. If you ever want to do an interesting study, maybe you have done this, but study the prenatal effects of an unborn child, the, the chemistry or the chemicals of a mother on her child before the child is born. Like a, a, like a mother who is unexpectedly pregnant out of wedlock, maybe, for example. And she has this fear and she has this shame and she has this, all of this troubled mind. Guess what? That secretes chemicals into her, into her, into her body physiologically. And guess what? The baby is feeding on that guilt fear and shame that's why when the that's why you know the best thing that we can do for our kid is to bring him into the body of christ just you know that's i was raised in the body my parents didn't know what to do with me they just sent me to church (laughs) just hang out with them they'll take they'll figure it out and they did i got discipled in church and i turned out kind of okay the flesh is the old me that who used to rebel against god in the flesh i was hostile and insubordinate in our flesh, there's two sides of our flesh. There's two sides of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If I feed at the tree at the knowledge of good and evil, I, be, I, I, and I come into this dichotomy, this split dichotomy, which there's the good side and there's the bad side. And a lot of people think that Christianity is that they mistake in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for Christianity. It's good versus evil. And it's in the most ancient of religions, yin and yang, good against evil, your good works are going to outweigh your bad works when you stand at the gate before St. Peter, right? He's going to have a scale there, right? And he's going to, okay, you know, like, all right, you did good there, and you walked 100 old ladies across the street. Okay, you're in. Go ahead, go ahead. Peter is not going to be at, at the gates. 
Now, there's going to be gates there, and they're going to be open, and there's going to be angels welcoming you and I. Even before we close our eyes in death, there's going to be angels there waiting for us. Isn't that awesome? We have such great, such a great future ahead of us. So the flesh has two sides to it. It has a very good side, right? Good side. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? We, did, we preached that a few, a few months ago. It has a good side, and it has also a very bad side to it. And I think that in Christianity, most of the time, we're going to be, we're going to either be camping out on the good side to appease our conscience, to appease our weird concept of God, our unbiblical concept of God, or we're going to be living on the evil side, the bad side, because we're just fed up with Christianity. We just we can't measure up to this Christian walk. We can't measure up with these people. They're all so good. They're all so amazing. And if these people understood what I was thinking about right now in this in this church service, they'd cast me out and burn me at the stake. That is not that, that is not Christianity. And if we're if you're living there, you're at the wrong tree, and it's destructive, and you're going to walk away, and you're going to only understand your nakedness, your shame, and you're going to start living with these different kinds of leaves to cover yourself up. And that's a whole other message, covering ourselves, covering our shame with things that do not last because they wither up. So the flesh cannot please God. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 3, I have no confidence in my flesh. Zero confidence. I have no confidence in my flesh. Can we plant the church in the energy of the flesh? Probably could, but it would turn out to be a, it'd turn out to be a business, right? Turn out to be a franchise or something. Can I raise a family in the energy of the flesh with a concept of fic- a guiding fiction? What is that guiding fiction? It just means this picture of what I, what I think I should be like. This is what I was told I should be like. And it's a fictional account that I can never attain to. Uh, we have no confidence in the flesh. But when you put our confidence in God, I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I do know who is the planner. You know, are you worried about your kids? Do you have a teenager that you're worried about? Are you worried about your job? Are you worried about your finances next next fall? How's it going to work with kids getting kids? I know I know a lot of parents are probably already in August in their mind thinking about how are they going to get their kids to school? How's it going to all look? In our flesh, we cannot please God. So what does it mean in Galatians 2 verse 20? This is what I this is where I want to bring in a practical point. I've been crucified with Christ and the life the life I live in I now live, I live by faith. And I can't wait to preach this message in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, what this is saying is the old me died that trusted in itself and the new me leans on Christ every day. You know, in your new creation, in who you are in Christ, the new you is already by nature leaning on Christ. Remember the Apostle John the disciple John, as he leaned on the breast of Christ at dinner, this is what you and I in our new creation do by nature. We don't have to be told how to do that. When we are quickened by the Holy Spirit, we just want God. We just want his will. And so Romans 8, verse 3, when Jesus died in the form of sinful flesh, good flesh and evil flesh, okay, when he died, he crucified both, he judged sin in the flesh and fulfilled the requirements of the law in us. So the Ten Commandments, and I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't understand why so many churches start teaching the Ten Commandments as a primary topic in Sunday school. 
I don't, I don't know. I, maybe for, I mean, the, the, the law is good. It's for civil order. It's, it's good because it creates order in society and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the country that, uh, that, that obeys the law of God. There is going to be order and blessing, but it cannot save. And so Jesus came. He was born. He was born as the second Adam and he fulfilled the entire law. He did everything that was required to do. And then what did he say at the end? He was the only lawgiver. He was now the new judge because he fulfilled the entire law. And now Jesus said, I can say whatever I want to say right now because I'm the guy who fulfilled the whole law. And this is what I say. I give you a new law. <laughs> and this is the law of grace. It's the law of love. It's the law of faith. It's the law of spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit. It's the new law of the promises. Because in Romans chapter, I mean, in, in John 1 verse 16, it says that Moses came, uh, when with Moses came the law, but with Jesus came grace and truth. Anytime we think, act, or react outside of God's grace. By the way, what's grace? I just want to remind us, it's unachievable favor. I know that sometimes people say it's unmerited, but it's it's unmerited, but it's also unachievable. It's something that we could never achieve in our life. Do you want the blessing of God to be in your life? Do you want the the flow of an anointing in your life, even in hard times, to be flowing there? Then just be a recipient of the grace of God and just begin to digest and receive and camp out on the promises of God. God's promises. Begin to think about how he died for you. Begin to think about your, you as a new creation. I remember in Bible college, we were given this sheet of paper, 95 things that happened to you at the time of salvation. And all of us students, we put them up right above our beds or, or in our dorms. Or, and it was just something that I would read through, forgiven, accepted, beloved, um, justified, called, and so many things. When we live in all of this, we are, when we are living under all of this, we are not functioning under the law. And let me just make this clear, is that when we are not thinking in grace and when we drift away, and when we think, okay, you know what, I've got something, someone says something, something happens, and there's something inside of us that just pops up and says, you know, I've got to do this. I should do this. The word should is a word that we should be careful with because should is a word that, has the has the fragrance of 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 human endeavor to please should actually the polish word and it's cool when you know other languages because you can learn a lot about the culture by just knowing the what words are and where they come from the word should in the polish language and i think it's also in, U- in ukrainian it's made up of two words it's a it's a compound word it's povinna and what it means is this pol means like like according to or because of or according to the law of and the word vina is what it's guilt according to guilt and and you look at the polish culture and it's like so catholic and it's so anti-grace and it's so like my wife is from a village not a village but a town where the reformation started in poland it was the center of the reformation they have a version of the Bible that was printed in that town. And when you go there today, there's such an anti-Reformation spirit there that, that was just weaponized to kill the Reformation. 
because the Counter-Reformation in Poland was so powerful that it shut it down. Cultures, languages, um, people, his, history can be so embedded and so in, in uh, stained by ungrace, yes. by favor that people have to achieve. When we're functioning, when we fun, when we re- react outside of God's grace, we are functioning what under the law. Yes. It's like when when I'm like, when I'm saying, okay, God, I'm angry at this guy that just cut me off in 45, or whatever, or I'm angry at my neighbor because his dog just barks all night, or uh, just whatever. I just get angry, or I just get angry at my at myself or at a family member. What happens is I'm, I I leave. The, I, I temporarily leave the fellowship, the shower of grace, and I begin to function in the deeds of the flesh. And at that moment, I'm under a law. And I'm not just under the Ten Commandments. I'm under, I'm under the law. I'm under the law of the flesh. Okay? I'm going, now I am under the government, the, the gravitational pull, the mentality. Um, I am now in the, in the power of the flesh under the law which is a law that is now driving my life that I was not, but it's not the end. It doesn't mean that I'm not powerless because before you and I get saved, whenever we would fall into this law of anger or addiction or depression or sadness or personal rejection or manipulation or all the games that we play because we need to prop up our self-image and feel good about ourselves by stepping on other people, Whenever we, before we got saved, we were slaves to that. There was no way to get out of it. And there's 12-step programs out there, and I'm sure that they help the quality of people's lives. But you know what people really need to know is who they are in Christ. This is what we're all about. This is what, what we want to preach here. This is what we want to talk about every time we gather is the new creation, the new creation, the new creation, who we are in Christ, the, the, man, the, the spirit man that was born from above. Because when we momentarily step outside of that, we are transgressing. That's transgression. That's sin. That's Romans chapter 14. I think that people define sins by behaviors. Okay, if I go kill somebody, if I go steal, if I go, if I don't, if I cheat, if I do this, or if I lie, or if I, if I don't, you know, if I don't pay my bills, or whatever people define sins. And there's so many different kinds of sins out there. Those are all what? Remember, they're all what? Those are all symptoms of a deeper problem. And I, I'm, I, I'm there too. We spend so much time dealing with the symptoms that we're not drilling down to the core root. And what is the core root? Understanding that we are a new creation and that we are not under the law. Where is the strength of sin? Let me just ask you that question. What is the strength of sin? What empowers your sin? What, what in, I don't want to say your sin because our sin has been separated from us and is no longer ours. If you understand the Hebrew language, I'm just getting, I'm digressing here, but what's the power of sin? What's the strength of sin? What? I would say temptation, but that's not right. What's the strength of sin? I don't We're just having so much fun with Caleb. Uh, we have this thing that like, He's pretty mobile now. He's not walking, but he's mobile. And he has these 
and Oliver and Scarlett are going to discover this pretty soon when they come over on Monday, <laughs> is that he likes, to, he likes to walk around and he, he'll go to, he'll, like, he likes to open things and close things. So he'll go to our cupboards and he'll open them and we're like, you know, we, no, no, no. And then we, then we affirm that we love him and, and this is this whole thing that we're learning. And what we'll do, then what we'll do is we'll put rubber bands around the two handles, right? And then there's right next to, and I just I noticed this this morning, he's making my coffee. He came right over to the, where the rubber band was, and right next to it was this, was the same set of cabinets, but no rubber band there. And he didn't even go to that. And he was just going to the one that had the rubber bands on. And I thought, oh, isn't that so interesting? That when there's something forbidden and when something is locked up, when something is not allowed, that's where human nature, a little old sin nature, it gets drawn to that. Because the strength of sin is what? Is in the law, right? Like if you say, there's something about us. If there's 40 doors and someone is saying, do whatever you do, do not go through that red door. Just, and they spend the whole time talking about that red door. Where is our mind going to be going? Our mind is going to be drifting in that direction of the red door that we should not go through. Why? Because the strength of sin is in the law. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56. Does that mean that we live without law? Does that mean that we just cast away all restraint and that we throw away all guidelines and that we let people do naturally what they want to do? No, because the heart left to itself. If we follow our heart, our, un, our old heart, which was crucified, then we will we will enter into self-destruction. Satan will try to take everything bad and everything good and try to turn it into a law of some kind. He's going to take everything good in your life and everything bad in your life and he's going to try to turn it into some kind of law like, like, um, hey, I got a clean car. That's good. My car is clean. Austin's got a new nice, nice clean new car. Looked at it yesterday. I got a nice clean car. But if that becomes my identity, and if that becomes something that I'm deriving my value from, or I have a clean house, or I have an orderly house, what will happen is, is that that becomes a law to me. That if my car is not clean for some reason, and I'm not able to clean my car, or whatever, you can plug in whatever you want into that, that creates anxiety and unrest, because it becomes a law. The strength of sin is in the law, and anxiety takes over. I love this. I love this song, and I couldn't find who wrote it. It was a song that sometimes was sung when I was in Bible college, and I had it sung at our wedding. And it goes like this: All that I was died on the tree. All that I am was born there. All that I will be springs from Calvary. O Calvary, all that I was, all that I am, and all that I will be. Amen. Everything that God wants us to be springs from Calvary. And so, the, the, and, and friends, this is the message of the cross, that the old sin nature has been crucified, and we, we are now new creation. We are new creation. And that when temptation comes into the picture that tries to draw us into something, lying to us that we're missing, missing an experience, we at this point now as new creations with the Holy Spirit now can say no and we can turn away and look unto christ this is and this is luke 9 verse 23 i want to wrap this up with this 
What does Jesus mean when he says, you cannot be my disciple except unless you deny yourself and take up your cross? Those are some pretty interesting words. And if we don't look at the original, then it can be misunderstood very easily. Pastor Jomi quoted this verse this morning, and he quoted it right. A lot of times people quote this verse, and it's wrong. Uh, they, they, they actually do it backwards, because in our minds, in some way, we are still stuck on not understanding what denial is. John 3, verse 30, it says that he must increase, and I must decrease. When God begins to increase in my life by just a steady diet of grace, doctrine, when I begin to get a steady diet of who I am in Christ and I get engaged with, like Austin was singing this morning, like, you know, when we get engaged with, with, with who we are in Christ and we begin to exercise ourselves by faith in that, or like we go on a mission trip, like going to India someday or Costa Rica, we're talking about a trip to Costa Rica, and we get engaged in who we are in Christ, guess what's happening? God is increasing. I'm allowing him to increase in my life through concentration. This is biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship is not me sitting down with a book with, a, with another guy and going through the book and answering questions. That could be educational, but discipleship is when we together are collectively saying no to ourselves and saying yes to God's plan for our life. This is biblical discipleship. This is the message of the cross. So let me answer the question here. How do, how do we put to death the sinful deeds of the body or how do we deny ourselves? What this verse is not saying are to deny the desires or, deny, or to deny the presence of the sinful nature. Okay, temptation comes. I'm trying to be as practical as possible. Temptation comes. The desires are there. I want to react. The desires are there. Okay, then the relig- and then if we're at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what will happen is that the other side of us will spring up and say, Oh no, can you believe you thought that? Can you believe that that desire was there? And then religious nature will be deny that desire. But you know something? That's not what Jesus is saying here in Luke 9, verse 23. Stay with me because it's going to make sense. Jesus is saying here, deny yourself. The Ten Commandments say, you shall not desire or lust. That's what the Ten Commandments say. That's number four or five on the Ten Commandments. What it's saying in Luke 9, verse 23 is, is that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Get this. In Luke 9, verse 23, love this. I discovered this nugget yesterday when the little guy was napping and my wife was shopping. Deny is in the passive voice in the Greek which means this, the subject himself, if any man wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Deny is the passive voice, and, it, and the subject himself, or us, is being impacted by the verb taking up the cross. What, it's, what this means is this, is that when we, to deny ourselves, does not mean that I'm denying the presence of that anger or denying the presence of whatever that is in my life. I say, yeah, that is there, and I'm not going to live in denial. See, because when I say, oh, no, that's not there, that's not there, I'm ignoring it, I don't hear that, I'm not hearing that, I'm hearing it, but I'm, I don't hear it, you know what I'm saying? We ever play that game? And it's there, and it's there. And so, Romans chapter 7 says that Paul says, when I try to do good, evil's present with me, right? It's like that cartoon with a little angel on one shoulder and the, and the little devil with the pitchfork and the horns on the other shoulder. That's where a lot of Christians live. 
Paul is not saying that we live in denial. We say we acknowledge that. We say, yes, that's the old sin nature. That is the voice that's of the past. It's coming back and it's speaking. But what do we do at that point? We say, I turn away from that. Because you know what shame and guilt and fear does? They go, oh, no, I can't believe I hear that voice again. That's shame, guilt, and fear. And then we go run into the bushes or we try to hide with fig leaves. That is, that is the wrong kind of denial. The right kind of denial is like, I hear that, but I'm turning and I'm looking to the cross. And I'm saying, that's who I am. That's a lie, but this is who I am right here. This is truth. I am, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but I live by faith. Okay, I live, is this, is this clear? Yes. I, want to, I don't want to make it too complicated. I'm not, desi- I'm not denying my past that, that, okay, that was there. I'm getting an old text message from somebody, and it's like, okay, great, I hear that. And then, and then you feel the pull. Your chemistry feels the pull back into it. And then you just say, you know what? I've been down that road. I know where that goes. I know the pain the next morning. I'm going to turn away, and I'm going to look at the cross and say, you know what? I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I belong I have a new purpose in my life. I have an eternal purpose. I have a calling in my life. And when we live that way, guess what happens? This is what it means in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. If we live according to the flesh, we die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. Okay? Let me just explain this, okay? I explain Luke 9, 23. How do we deny ourselves? We turn away. We don't deny it's there. We turn away and we look to the cross and we say, okay, this is who I am. I'm loved, forgiven, accepted. What does it mean to kill the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit? What it means is, in Colossians chapter 3, I want to read this. Because these, I don't know, these verses used to trouble me. Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6. And I'm going to close, I'm going to close with this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. I think the King James says mortify, right? Such a, such a medieval word, huh? Mortify. <laughs> Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is the idolatry. And in verse 6, it says, On the account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. That's why we don't go in that direction of the voice, because the wrath of God is coming on that. And that is outside of grace. That is outside of my life with God, my life of of cleanliness and and peace. And what happens is, is that when it says here, mortify, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, mortify that which is earthly in you. I have a good illustration about that. When we were living in Maryland, on 95, my wife and I would drive up to Hartford County where we were living, and oftentimes we would see roadkill, deer, just slammed and just smeared all over the road. It was just a mess. I just remember one time on one of these back roads, it was called Mountain Road, um, 152, I think it was, and we drive out to our house when we were living in Falston. And uh, one time we were driving on this, this two-lane road, two directions, and I remember seeing one time big deer had gotten gotten hit, and it was just like, kind of like sticking into the road a little bit, and people were going around, and it was there for a couple days. And then I remember coming home one time after after uh, coming home from the office in in the church in Baltimore driving down that road and there was a there was a state police guy there and he had stopped traffic and both on one direction and he put he put on these rubber gloves and there was this dead massive deer there and it just had been there for a few days 
And he put these gloves on it, on his hands, and he went out to the deer and he just grabbed it very carefully, not to get it on himself. And he was pulling it across the road to the side. I remember looking at that deer because I was the first in line and it was dead. It was dead. It was deader than dead, but something was alive in it. (laughs) Maggots, worms, insects, everything. It was just a mess. It was dead, but it was alive. It was like something was living there, but it wasn't a deer. The deer was dead, but it was teeming with corruption and teeming with like maggots and grossness and bacteria. And I'm, what I'm trying to do here is, is I'm trying to portray the picture of the flesh. Our flesh has been, has been broadsided by the cross. It is roadkill on the road of life. It is deader than dead. It's dead. It was crucified with Christ. It was like the car of God's finished work, the cross, came down 152 and slammed into that slammed into that flesh and ended its life. It is dead, but yet it's something still alive about it. That's the corruption, the the maggots, all the all the insects, the grossness of it. And so when the policeman came out with his gloves on, this is what it means to mortify the deeds of the flesh. What it means is in the Greek in Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 it says this, kill what's already killed in the Greek. It's already dead. It's already dead. Just reckon it dead. Get your rubber gloves on. Go out from the perspective of the cross of who you are in Christ and grab a hold of those things in your life that sometimes are impeding your progress with God and his plan and drag it across the road and just just leave it. And just don't touch it. It's so gross. It smells. It's ugly. And when we live in the flesh, that's the way we smell spiritually. That's what it means to to kill the flesh. Is that clear? that make sense let me just finish here with this sometimes people say well if you're struggling with the flesh you got to be holy like in first peter 1 16 obey the command to be holy Um, exercise your will to obey because because he is God, but something is crucial missing in this advice, namely faith. A lot of people strive for moral improvement who cannot say, I'm living by faith. Galatians 2.20. When we live by faith, we're believing to look at something who we are in Christ, that the flesh has been crucified, and when God looks at us, he's not looking at us through the eyes of our flesh, he's looking at us through the eyes of his blood, like, like Austin sang about that through the blood of Jesus Christ, that springs up faith in us. And when we hear these words, it springs up faith. It it springs up hope that I can face tomorrow. I can face Monday morning and all of the details that are coming up. I can face the limitations that I have. I can face the plan of God. And I don't need to live in fear because the sovereign plan of God, and I love this, I've been just meditating on this every day, the sovereign plan of God is guided and rooted and founded in the grace of God as we never have to fear our future we never have to fear somebody else's future when we're with this fostering here that said sometimes these thoughts come like wow what's going to happen with this kid in the future but you know something God has it under control and we can trust God amen I'm going to finish I said this a hundred times already this is such a great little thing it says daily take up your cross right God's not asking us to take up the cross for next month it's a daily cross for today because we only have today. We don't have tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. 
If you're struggling with something in your life, just say, hey, today, just today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about next year. Just today, I'm going to take up my cross. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, I'm going to live in who I am in Christ. And I'm going to walk by faith with a vision that can't be taken away because of this finished work. Amen? I love this, and I can't wait to talk next Sunday about walking by faith and living by faith. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our life of faith.